Hello, welcome to the Audio Combat Podcast. Today we talk to Dallas Toller Wade of Narcotic Wasteland. We talk about recording, guitars, and shit, barbecue. We talk about him doing video game soundtracks. He also says Rando Calarizian. He does. Like, it's in there. So listen to that if you want to if you want to hear that shit. Upcoming Gorgatron shows, uh, April 24th in Sioux Falls, May 22nd in Fargo, North Dakota at the Fargo Brewing Company Hall. Be there or be a fucking poser. Uh, we got a couple more shows coming up, but we can't announce that yet. And we have a bunch of new merch. I will. I mean, maybe not a bunch, but new merch coming soon but i'm not going to tell you what it is because you have to come see us uh so yeah enjoy my conversation me carl from gorgatron with dallas toller wade of narcotic wasteland dallas yep hey man hey what's up man this is carl from gorgatron how are you doing man cool can you hear me awesome you sound like you have a lot of stuff going on in the background. Oh, there's uh, there's people talking. We just got done with band practice. Uh, hold up. Right on. Cool. All right. Sorry. Uh, uh, so four years have passed since your last record, Delirium Tremens. Uh, I heard you are working on new material. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. Uh, we pretty much had most of an album done and then you know everything kind of got shut down so we uh took a break in a way but also continued to write so um you know and hopefully we should have it out sometime later this year sounds awesome yeah it was uh it was unfortunate the way that this year kind of went but at the same time i feel like a lot of bands and uh artists have had time to perfect crafts or you know work on new stuff and that's like the 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 good side effect of things if you will yeah exactly i mean you just work with what you can and and try to make the best of the situation and absolutely you know we had some you know we had some shows lined up where we're going to drop a lyric video and you know we would have already had an album out by now but yeah. Um, you know, that didn't work out, and we just decided to, yeah, continue to write, and, um, and yeah, like you said, perfect the craft a little bit, and all that stuff. And, Fuck yeah. Um, you, uh, you think there's going to be anything different on the horizon, like, lyrically or riff-wise? Yeah, I mean, I'm always kind of, uh, it's, it's, you know, my riffing is like a mix between stuff that I hear in my head and then stuff that I just stumble upon as I'm jamming out, just kind of riffing or whatever. So it's sort of a combination of that. And, uh, yeah, there, there is going to be a couple of different things on the, on the new one. Uh, and, and lyrically it's kind of, uh, taking a little bit of a turn in direction as well, as far as what it's talking about. I'm spending a lot of time this album just basically talking about things that piss me off like yeah. <laughs> narcissistic selfish asshole people and um you know stuff like that um sure so yeah you know it's it's just it is it's a vessel it's a vessel for us to um sort of vent a little bit and uh 
get some of that aggression out. Absolutely. I, I get that, man. Uh, yeah, it kind of seems like from uh, your first record in 2014 and then to uh, Delirium Tremens that you kind of refined uh, what you guys were going for, and it really made that second record hit fucking hard, man. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's the goal, you know what I mean? Uh, it's uh, the day you stop progressing is the day you may as well give it up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I choose to progress, you know, as, as best I can. And, um, you know, I, I, I felt that way kind of, too, that we really started to sort of find our find our sound in a way. And, and, uh, and you know, I always wanted to, even on the first record, but even more so on the second record, I, I wanted to have a, a variety of stuff and not just, um, you know, 40 minutes of, you know, extremely yeah. fast blast beat and straight sweeps. Yeah, and chugs and yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I think I think one of the challenges. Yeah, so I I, I kind of have it. Uh, I don't know. My my riffing approach is probably uh, uh, pretty uh, old school at this point. I mean, it it's old school, but you keep it fresh. Yeah, that's what that's the goal. You know what I mean? Uh, I also like to have you know some chops involved but it not necessarily be tech death you know what i yeah. mean yeah like, yeah like yeah, you have to be able to play pretty good to play it yeah. but at the end of the day it's still about that hook and those riffs oh absolutely um i don't know if you incorporate this into your writing style but one of the things i've realized uh being in a band and being a musician is that you kind of have to write things that you can't necessarily play or perform right away because it kind of pushes you forward, if you know what I mean. I don't know if you agree with that, but if you just keep writing the same kind of riffs and the same kind of sounds, you're going to start sounding stale, and, and you don't really get that, that fresh shit that you need on a new record. Oh, yeah. That's, um, that happens just about every time. Uh, and actually, one of the most difficult songs... Uh, on the last one uh, was probably the first track on the record, Introspective Nightmares. I mean, uh, I still religiously practice the set list uh, just for my own fun and just it helps me stay up on stamina and chops and stuff like that. Absolutely. But, uh, I mean, I wish I could have, when I tracked that guitars for that song, I, I wish I could have played it like I do now. Yeah. Um it's a lot more flowing and a, lot, a little bit more easy. And, and instead of trying to downstroke everything and then alternate pick the one burst of uh, the low D string, um, I'm using more of a cross picking, which gives me more control, more power to the string, and just more dexterity overall. So there's a few little things I tweaked on my own uh, as well. I, I decided that actually right before the COVID thing hit, I started taking lessons from a classical guitarist last year. And um, he showed me a lot of cool things to just brush up and help with my overall technique on the instrument. And I tell you, that has made things a hell of a lot easier for me because, you know, halfway through the song, like keeping up with the Jones or whatever, my right arm is going to fall off, it feels like. And now I can go through the whole song without any fatigue at all. And a lot of that has to do with just running the set list a lot and just doing that, that that you know, being diligent about practice. Yeah, but also yeah, staying on top of it, yeah. sure you're not pressing the strings way hard. You know, I used to press the strings, like, super hard because um, mm -hmm. I would get excited. And uh, you really don't need to do that. You really just need to apply enough pressure to fret the note cleanly. 
and um and uh, and little just little stuff like that, you know. Sure. Has has kind of got me dialed in with much better dexterity. So I'm I'm really excited to finally get into the final tracking of everything because we're still the way I normally do it is we'll pre-pro out the demos and flesh them out completely. Uh huh. Um, and then make sure that we like everything with the songs, and then then we go actually track it. <laughs> you right, know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that actually is a good segue into my next question. Do you get really into uh, certain recording techniques or equipment? Um, I, I'm pretty basic uh, punk rock in a way with that. Um, kind of. I did do uh, one of the things that I do like to do is um, do taste tests on different uh, speaker cabinets. Did you say taste tests? So at the yeah, well, basically what you do is, you know, you call up, you, you take like a basic riff and you place the microphone, which I, I've always used the 57, you know, place the microphone where you like it on the speaker, record a little bit, and then, you know, save that or whatever, mm-hmm. and then move the mic over to the next speaker. See how it sounds. And you would be amazed. You, you could, every speaker in a cabinet sounds completely different. And just about every speaker cabinet I've ever mic'd up and done the taste test on between all the speakers, there's usually one speaker in that cabinet that sounds like pure shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> so uh, this last time around, um, I ended up liking the cabinet that I used on the debut album, but a different speaker. And what I was looking for was something that didn't have a that was pretty flat in response and didn't sound cheap or plasticky sure. and just, you know, something that would be sculptable later. Cause you, you know, it's always easier to take away if you've got too much of something than try to add something in. Right. Yeah. Um, I know what you mean. So, but I like doing that. Uh, I like experimenting with, uh, different guitars and different pickups and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, and I, I kind of went in reverse on that one. Cause I, I've been really loving the Seymour Duncan JB lately. Uh, it's just kicking my ass, and it's working really well with my uh, my Marshall amp that I always record with. And uh, between that and the the custom shop Dogtown Huffbuckers, I've got uh, a pretty cool sound going for the uh, for the record. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I know that you drop a JB in the bridge of pretty much any guitar, and it fucking sounds awesome. Yeah, it's really surprising. I mean, you know, in my Nile days, we used the Seymour Duncan Invaders, and I do oh, really those like those still. I mean, they don't, yeah, they don't suck, that's for sure, yeah. but the JB has got a little bit more top-end bite on it. Yeah, and like the, the Palm you know, Beauty shit. the Invader shit. can be a little muddy. Right. Um, so uh, that's actually what I was going to ask you. So I don't know anything about the... Are you still endorsed by Dogtown? Do you still use them uh, a lot, I'd say? Yeah. Can you, oh, can, yeah. Oh, can, yeah. Can you tell yeah, me a little bit those. about Dogtown? That's another... Well, they're just like a boutique shop uh, out in, you know, Minnesota. And uh, oh. I was introduced to a friend of mine that, you know, I would was chatting back and forth with on Facebook and he would come out to shows sometimes and he said that, you know, he had worked on this pickup design and, uh, 
and I tried them out, and I absolutely loved them. It has some similarities to like an old Dirty Finger pickup. It's an Alnico 5 magnet, over-scatter wound, two-conductor wiring. It's got like 19.6K output. It's ridiculous. Damn. It's one of the hottest. Yeah, it's one of the hottest uh, passive pickups I've I've ever heard. And um, it's cool. It's got a really snarly mid-range on it where the uh, – like a JB is a little bit more scooped naturally. Yeah, so yeah, I know what you're saying. Using them together is actually pretty cool. Like you do a track with one, and then you do a track with the other. Oh, that's, right. That's on. pretty cool sounding. That's that kind of fills everything out. Fuck yeah. Um, so are there uh, are there like guitars and or amps uh, and cabs that you are using now to record the new record that you wish you would have used on the last two records? Um, well, I'm using the same head that I used on the last record. Uh, I'd say overall, considering the budget and time constraints and whatever, I'm pretty happy. Uh, The first album I used, uh, my live rig that I used for decades, and that was uh, Marshall Monoblock Power Amp with uh, PV Rockmaster Preamp. Oh, dude. And I used that forever. And I still have the, I don't have the monoblock anymore, but I still have the Rockmaster. It's a good studio piece, and you, it's actually really good for a bass preamp, too. It makes a great bass preamp. Yeah. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but those Rockmasters are kind of hidden gems, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And uh, it's the similar uh, circuitry to, say, like PV Triple X, or uh, I think the predecessor to that was the PV Ultra Head. Oh, but okay. it's got some of the same circuitry and same voicing and characteristics as, and I like the PV Triple X a lot too. That's my live head. I oh, use okay. that for live. That's a, it's a great workhorse. It sounds good, you know. Just under the microscope in here in the studio, <clears throat> my Marshall Nine Hundred just blows it out of the water. I mean, it. <laughs> yeah. It's just way more clear. It doesn't, um, and it's just got a unique sound to it, and. uh but yeah, you know, I'd have to say overall, I've been really happy with all the tones I've gotten so far on these records, and uh, the last one, particularly with this Marshall 900 that I got, um, and uh, I'll be using that again this time. Although I may be using a different overdrive pedal, I've been using I'm back on the Boss Super Overdrive again. That one's just kicking my ass lately. No shit. And on the last record, I used the MXR. I think it was a wild overdrive. All right. And um, I liked it at the time because a lot of times when you engage an overdrive pedal, it cuts some of the low end out. Uh-huh. And um, that's why I preferred it last time. But uh, with um, this, just for some reason or another, this time around, that low end cut is desirable. It's not like making it thin at all. It's just... Right, getting right. some of that flubbiness out of the bottom end. Yeah, yeah, tightening that up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I have to say the, the guitar sound on Delirium Tremens is thick as fuck. Uh, that record is a riff metropolis, man. Thank you, thank you. Well, I hope you like this new one. I think we've, I think we've stepped it up quite a bit this time around. Um, and, uh, but we still got a couple of, uh, we already have enough. We've had enough for quite a while for our album, but since we continued to write, now we've got some extra things to choose from. And, um, 
so yeah, I mean, while we kind of missed that window of opportunity, we still just used that time to make better songs. So some of the stuff that we had initially planned on releasing, well, particularly one of my tracks, it may not make it because I feel like I've already got stuff that's better. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. So uh, that was one of the weird things about how all this happened. And then, um, I don't know, just getting back in the zone, and and me and Chris have been getting together uh, when we can and and working on stuff, and he's got some killer new stuff, and uh, Ed wrote some new stuff, got a couple of new songs too, so uh, it's a little more hands-on with everybody this time. And then I'm doing my normal however many I end up doing. <laughs> right, right. And uh, so we got a lot of material for this record. So Heck yeah. But, you know, we're not going to try to make some 70-minute epic or anything like <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if my attention span could handle it. So uh, let alone uh, other people, which a lot of listeners seem to have a fairly short attention span lately. Oh, I know. But, um, but uh, you know... So I keep that in mind when I'm when I'm working on that stuff. And when you make an album as a as a whole, you want it to flow nicely from one end to the other, and for it to make sense. Yeah, you yeah. Know, in some sort of musical way. And uh, so this time we definitely have a lot more variety, especially with uh, with Chris and Ed uh, contributing a little bit more than they did last time, which so, is awesome. Sure. So uh, do. Do all three of you do most of the writing for like riffs and songs and stuff, or was that like primarily your kind of thing on like the second record and the first record? If you know what I'm asking. Yeah, I I wrote most of the music and most of the lyrics on the first and second album. On the first album, um, Ed wrote a song called "Addicted to Junk," which is like damn near impossible to play, yeah. but fun. Yeah. And uh, and like uh. And then he wrote a song on Delirium, and then Chris also wrote a song on Delirium. What uh, what song so, did they do in Delirium? Uh, Chris did Husk, and uh, Ed's is right after the um, the the intro. There's a there's that piano piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so and. Uh, so Ed wrote that crazy. Yeah, it's not riff. in memoriam. I'm trying to. Yeah, it's it's got a weird um, it's got a uh, a weird feel to it. It's a it's a cool song. Again, some some serious uh, sorcery going on on that particular track, and that's kind of where the album for me kind of changes gears a little bit, sure. which is also like important. Yeah, um, you know, I have to say, I think. Uh, there's some crazy shit on like a lot of tunes on that record, man. Because uh, you were talking about that husk tune, and there's that uh, that crazy oh. riff. Uh, what the fuck? It has that uh, double triplet thing, like the dun dun. Ah, man, I can't even think about it. Um, <laughs> but you my know, my favorite part on that whole, uh, just about one of my favorite parts on the whole album is that part section in Husk where it just does a crunch guitar. It's just going yeah. Jun, jun, jun. Yeah, fucking. I remember tracking that and just looking over at my Marshall and just being like, "God, that Marshall is just talking pure shit right now." <laughs> Marshall with attitude, I get it. <laughs> oh man, the more I dug in, the more just nasty it got. That was that was fun. But yeah, Ed wrote uh, "Life Revolted" 
and that self-immolation intro to Life Revolted. Okay. Which I would like to actually bring out as a live track sometime. I think that would be cool, man. Because, uh, so you got that, uh, you you could do like the Life Revolted, uh, you could do that too, and then, and then right into that crazy riff, uh, the intro riff from Delirium Tremens. Uh, and I think that would fucking hit people hard live. Yeah. What's been working out pretty good uh, on the live set is, you know, we have uh, two different tunings or two primary tunings. We have, we've probably used about four different tunings now, but the two primary tunings that we use is D sharp standard and D standard. Okay. And the albums are usually half out half and half on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first bit of the set list, we'll do D standard songs. Okay. We'll start out with something like Anthem and we'll end with like introspective or return to the underground. And then the, uh, acoustic intro for bleed and swell will roll. Okay. That'll give us a chance to grab our D sharp guitars, make sure they're tuned well, really well. Right. Then we go into bleed and swell. Then we go into delirium. You know? Oh, fuck <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, on that note, man, I gotta say that uh, that groove riff at the end of "Return to the Underground" fucking rules, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks a lot. That's a, that was a very fun song to put together, and it was it was one of those ones uh, that literally just came together in like a couple of nights. No shit. And um, yeah, you know, I, it's funny. I, I was watching uh, I was watching ZZ Top on the Howard Stern Show on YouTube. And they were talking about, they played LaGrange, and they were Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, what, you know, he was asking, Howard was asking him, you know, what what did it take to write a song like that? And he was like, you know, sometimes you just got to go with it and and not overanalyze it and just let it flow out naturally. Because, and I can relate to that, because some of my better songs that I feel were were better were songs that I literally just put together in a couple of nights. And then sometimes it takes a whole month to get something together. And it's not near as good as the one you wrote in the night. Oh, <laughs> uh, I know. And it gets, it's, su- it's super frustrating because you can never tell uh, how that process is going to go. Because sometimes you're like, oh, man, this riff fucking rips. I'm going to, you know, and you're going to work on that and grind it out. And then, you know, a month later, you're like, ah, I, I don't know if I like that anymore, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've definitely been in that situation before. Uh but usually what will happen is, is if it gets to that point, then you probably just need a break from it in general. Yeah. And then then you never know. Another month go by and you come back to it, and then you'll be like, oh, okay, I see what I was trying to do there. Right, right. Um, and then it can be an emotional thing, too. It's just like I've written stuff, and uh, and then a month later I'm just like, you know, I just don't feel that way anymore. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get that. And then uh, especially in your situation, uh, like you took uh, classical guitar lessons, you know, sometimes you you have a riff, and then you step away from it and then switch gears completely, uh, like take classical guitar lessons, and then you come back to that material, and it's like, oh, I can do this, hell yeah, and then you shred something out, and it's fucking awesome. Yeah, there. It just goes to show that there's no rules. But one of the things that I've just noticed, especially in the past few years, is that once you've got that lightning in the bottle, you need to ride that sucker out and make sure that you know you at least get as far into the song as you can before you have to just you know get some sleep or right. get some food or right, right, right. Sometimes that can take a, a long process. Another one that went really quickly that is a. Uh, 
kind of a live favorite when we play it, and that's uh, Coastal Killings from the debut album. Um, it's about Donald Henry Pee Wee Gaskins, uh, South Carolina's like most prolific serial killer or whatever. And oh, we wrote a song about you. that, and it was just quick and dirty. I mean, I literally wrote that song in like four hours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I read the book cover to cover in one sitting. And then I went out, and I was living in a different place. My studio was set up out in a garage that I had converted. So I went out in the garage, and four hours later, emerged with Coastal Killings. Damn. That's pretty impressive. That was a productive day. I read a book, and I wrote a song. <laughs> yeah, see, that's, that's two things that it takes some people, like, years to do. <laughs> like, literally. Man, you must have had some crazy ass yeah. coffee or some shit that day. <laughs> Something, yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely probably had some good old eight o'clock. There you go. Uh, eight o'clock Colombian. I get. I use eight o'clock Colombian, and I grind. I get the whole bean, and I got a grinder, and I grind that shit to dust. Grind it to dust. Fuck yeah. Grind it to Okay, so like, <laughs> fuck yeah, dude. Grind it in the dust. Fuck yeah. Uh, anyways, hey, uh, so let's switch gears for a second, if you don't mind. Um, so I know that you're fond of BC Rich and particularly the Iron Bird shape or model, sorry. Mm -hmm. So I was going to ask you, would you ever, uh, have you ever thought about getting an Iron Bird made for you with the inlay of the album cover? from delirium tremens like on the 12th fret or something like that or maybe like that art on like the the body of it that would be sick i like the idea of having that as inlays and we'd actually been working on a um because i'd like to be able to have that caduceus on a um on just like a more simple like say like have like a black and white shirt just like you know a simple print shirt yeah 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 I, so I've been in the process of trying to design that same symbol, but just where you could have it like that, or like on a vinyl or something like that, you know, yeah, like yeah, a vinyl yeah. decal. Like you can um, drop that anywhere you want. But yeah, dude, that would be totally sick. Um, as a as a whole, though, I feel like you know um, there there is a couple of custom things. I mean, the the basic ingredients for me to be happy with any of my guitars. Uh, right now, I currently have four Iron Birds, a Charvel Starbody, an Ibanez Starbody, and I've got two Jackson Vs. Oh, yeah. And then, well, I've got a couple over at Chris's house, too. But anyways, those are the primary ones that I've been using. And uh, one of the things that I really cannot stand, and some manufacturers are really bad about it, is where they put the volume knob. Oh, dude, I know what you're saying. <laughs> Now, I always lose the tone knob and put the volume knob where the tone knob goes. You, you just cuss. Because I just keep bumping into it, and it's just irritating, or I end up turning myself down while I'm playing. And yeah. I just can't do that shit. No. And, you know, the Iron Birds, my, old, my older Iron Birds, that didn't used to bother me. So this was like a development that's happened in like the past five or six years where I'm just like, man, fuck that volume knob. Yeah, dude. <laughs> you know? That thing is in the way. Yeah, I um, can, I, yeah. I guess so, so I just, I just move it. I lose the. I don't use the tone knob, so I just 
clip it out of the circuit and move the volume knob over to the tone position. Okay. And that takes care of that problem. So if I was to have something custom made, I would have to make sure that they don't put that volume knob. I mean, some of these manufacturers, dude, they put the volume knob literally right beside the bridge pickup. It's dumb. I know. And I'm like, dude, that, that would when I try to play a guitar like that for more than 15 minutes, my right hand starts to cramp up and shit. I start getting like Fred Sanford hand and shit. Yeah. Uh, would you? Would you ever? But oh, go on. Oh no, I was just gonna say the Charvel Starbody that I have. It's just one pickup, one knob, and um, it's pretty close, but it doesn't bother me. It's like almost in the most perfect position. But that's. You know, that and having 24 jumbo frets, that's pretty much my ingredients. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Would you uh, would you ever consider, like, uh, having a guitar with just, like, a kill switch and then it's on full blast all the time? Um, I did have uh, – I, I had a uh, – it was uh, early to mid-'90s Warlock that I had, an NJ series, that way back in the day. And when it came – it had uh, basically, instead of having like a selector switch, it just had an individual switch for each pickup. Okay, okay. So that just worked as a kill switch as well. Basically, it had two kill switches. You could turn that one off and then turn the other one on. That that was a little clunky and time-consuming, but I just used the bridge mostly anyway. So, right. <laughs> but, but you had the option. That was pretty cool to have that little toggle there. Right, but you had the option to put the bridge and the neck pickup on at the same time. Yeah. Oh, that sounds all right. That yeah, sounds pretty it, rad. And then the third switch was like, uh, you know, it would split the coil of the of the bridge pickup. Oh, which sure, I sure. Don't also, I also don't. Use. Right. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um. Well, fuck yeah. Um. So a uh, little bit of a story for you, actually. Um, there is a picture of you and Justin uh, Payne from Unmerciful at Chicago Domination Fest with both of your Ironbirds. Um, mm-hmm. So that Ironbird that Justin had actually came from Camp Gorgatron uh, from my guitar player years ago. Um, so Justin was looking for an Iron Bird, and then Paul, uh, I, I was uh, doing some unmerciful stuff at the time, and then uh, he was looking for one, and I said, hey, Paul has an Iron Bird that he doesn't use. You should ask him about it. And then we kind of just stayed in the family, and that's cool that you guys bonded over those Iron Birds because those are some of the most evil-looking instruments on the planet. Yeah, man, and that one, that NJ series that he's got is a really nice one. Oh yeah, and um, it's a really good guitar, and I could tell that he just loves that thing. And I remember when he got it, and he was just blown away by it, just going, "Oh my God, this thing!" You know, and they really are. I mean, I've got um, I've got four of them. The one that's in the picture is actually a pretty. Ch- I got it on the cheap, man. I got it in a pawn shop for like a hundred fifty bucks. What? Um, Holy shit. Yeah, and then I just upgraded the the uh the pickups and the uh the tuners and stuff. Sure. And um it was a great road dog. Uh it's still sitting there. Uh, I don't know what I'll take out on the road this time, next time we go out, but uh I was using that and my Charvel. And uh yeah, man, that thing just works. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it's got a this one's got a standard bridge on it too, so it's just like 
you know, no floating bridge or anything like that, which I normally block those off anyways. Right. Although I prefer the feel of a Floyd. Um, so I usually just get a Floyd and put five springs on it so it doesn't move, or I just block it so it doesn't move. <laughs> sure, sure. So it's a, a riff machine. Yeah, something that I, I try to, I like the tuning to stay pretty stable. That was pretty surprising about this, you know, this, this Ironbird 1, this El Cheapo Ironbird. It was like, Man, this once this thing settles, it stays in tune really good. Oh fuck yeah, um, and that's pretty important uh, playing live because you start slipping out of tune and people can notice that shit. Yeah, and you don't want to spend too much time between songs, you know, dicking with your tuner and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, so one of the <laughs> things, one of the things I noticed, uh, I was looking up some live footage and some photos and nonsense. Uh, but I noticed that you rock a, a Doom shirt a lot. And I was going to ask you, would you ever be down to provide the soundtrack for a Doom game? <laughs> I don't know if I have the uh, the the uh, the chops for that. Um, I'd rather just hash it out on the multiplayer, which nobody plays anymore. <laughs> but... Um, but uh, I tell you what, I'll tell you the story about how I got that shirt. I'm yeah. friends with this guy in town who's actually a manager at a GameStop. Okay. And, uh, you know, when, when Doom 2016 came out, it was just like, you know, for a minute there, probably for about a month, that's like all I did. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's kick-ass. Uh, yeah, my son, he beat the beat the the uh, single player mode and got all the trophies and all that stuff and I was just I was just constantly in deathmatch team deathmatch uh all the free for all modes you know uh yeah. uh freeze tag and all that stuff they got over there Oh yeah. Uh have you have you played Doom Eternal? Yeah, I have it. Um it's really good. I I like it. Uh but it doesn't give me the online experience that I want, so I haven't really played it that much. Yeah. But it's beautiful. And getting back to the original question, I mean, the guy that did the soundtracks for those did a, an incredible job, I thought. Oh, yeah, Mick Gordon rules. Uh, yeah, that's why I asked you, because because uh, I saw that shirt, and I'm like, I bet you he's played Doom Eternal, and he's heard those bitchin' guitar riffs from that game. Oh, man, yeah. One of my favorite parts in Doom Eternal is right early in the game where you finally like go through some portal to hell and there's this really low choir, like yeah, inhumanly low octaves. And that's some of the most evil shit I've ever heard in my life. I was like, oh my god. Oh yeah. Have you uh, have you seen the the videos of him recording the choir of people screaming for that uh, for that sound piece? I didn't see that. I did see some clips for the 2016 Doom, and some of the stuff that he, some of the craziness uh, he was using to get some of them super, almost like industrial keyboard sounds that he was getting, yeah. along with you know, I think he's, think he's using like an eight string or something. So when the violence would really kick in, that thing would start kicking in. You know? and, yeah, and that's awesome. Yeah, uh, if you get a chance. Yeah, it's a great, great, great job. Oh yeah, uh, I was gonna say if you get a chance, you should check uh, check out some of that stuff on YouTube because so he got a bunch of like metal screamers, uh, so to speak, uh, and then that's where that chorus part came from. 
I think like uh, Sven from Aborted and like Tony Campos are in that, and it's it's a really interesting process to watch. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Uh, I think I may have actually have applied for that. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't get I didn't get anything back, but that's fine. You know, I, I knew that was going to be awesome, right? Visually and sonically. Well, back uh, back to the original question, though. I I think you should you should maybe apply to be on the next Doom game and just say, hey, here's my guitar riffs. We should put this in this game. I think I think you'd be you'd make it, man. <laughs> yeah, if I'm not uh, busy doing the doing this and I got some free time, and I'll I'll, I'll definitely consider it. <laughs> awesome. I will I will write letters to the company persistently demanding that you play guitar on that soundtrack. <laughs> uh, so, uh, another question. So, you are from uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, is that correct? Yep, good old Fayetteville. Fayetteville, all right. Uh, I got to ask, yep. do you Vietnam. have... Vietnam. Vietnam? <laughs> is that a <laughs> local That's what nickname? they call it, yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh, so I have yeah, to, local man, man. So I have to I have to ask: Do you have uh, an allegiance to a certain barbecue style? Uh, well, it's funny you say that. Uh, I came. Uh, some of my family were hog farmers, and they had pig pickings. Oh no! Sir. And uh, you know, it's like a get together where they do a whole hog. You know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know and and all that stuff, and I, I, I don't know, man. I, I like a lot of different barbecue. I, I'm, I've been living in South Carolina now for uh, about 23 years, I guess. Oh, and no shit. It's a little different here from what I was used to growing up, you know, with the family. There's like kind of a little bit more of a mustard base, which I like. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, I don't like sweet barbecue sauce. I, I understand. The sweet that. and meat don't go together for me. <laughs> I, I get know? that, man. I but something with a mustard base or a little bit of some hot sauce or, or something like that. Oh yeah, I'm there. <laughs> oh fuck yeah, man. Uh, I ask because every time that we head out that direction, it seems like every person has like a a you know they're about to wage war if you choose the wrong barbecue sauce. Oh yeah, there people get real kind of crazy about that, but they, it's like it's like man, you guys remind me of some musicians I know. <laughs> <laughs> barbecue sauce elitists. Yeah, barbecue sauce elitists. There you go. <laughs> Fuck yeah. That's fucking awesome. Well, if we if we ever come out that way, we'll we'll fucking barbecue together and we'll 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 find out what the best sauce is. Hell yeah! Whatever, whatever blows your dress up though. At the end of the day, you know what I mean. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I prefer more mustard-based or more spicy and, and not sweet. Yeah, yeah, and and I do too. Honestly, uh, the whole sweet, the sweet thing with meat, I I totally agree. I mean, I understand maybe like brown sugar, like a little bit, but to just have like pure sweetness, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, it's just too much for me, and. Mm. It, I don't know. It may, I, I'm, I'm not a big. I'm not big into sugar, anyways. I never have been. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I understand that. I'm not. I'm not huge into sugar either. I mean, it it just gets a little too much most of the time. Uh, 
Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, so okay, another question. Uh, do you think that your time drumming in Letri- Le- sorry, Letris Nocturne for the Adoration of the Blade record, do you think that made you a more percussive guitar player, or do you think it was just a natural progression? Uh, I think that since I started, I've always been kind of a uh, sort of a percussive guitar player with uh, just my my right hand and the way, you yeah. know, I've always been kind of uh, as, as uh, try to execute things as accurately as possible with the right hand. Uh, and that's because I started out on the drums and uh, I, I was, I was glad to get the chance to jam with those guys because uh, I had taken like probably I probably hadn't sat behind a drum set in over ten years at that point because I was really busy with Nile and I just didn't really have the desire to play and then you know and then you know jamming with guys like Peter Mora and Derek Roddy and Tony Loreno I was just like fuck man I want to blast yeah because <laughs> I was not a blast beat drummer I, I like I grew up playing the like rush and led zeppelin and scorpions and then metal church and mm-hmm. some of the early metallica stuff it's like that's that's what um that's what i grew up playing mm-hmm. and uh and then i just got more and more into guitar as i got more and more into you know the heavier styles of metal sure and uh, they just started to collect dust yeah and then um and then uh just playing with these guys and, and George Coley is too, just playing with all these dudes and really getting into it. And I was listening to a lot of old napalm records and shit, uh, napalm death records. Oh yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. I was just like, man, I, I want to, I, I had the itch again. I was like, I want to, I want to play drums. I want to have fast double bass and be able to blast beat and all that shit. And yeah, I got the blasting. Okay. I, I never could get the feet to cooperate. I mean, I, you had but, a pretty um, solid performance on that record, man. It wasn't too bad. I wish I would have had maybe one or two more weeks of rehearsal. But we always say that. Yeah. It seems like any, um, it and seems I, like, I was fun. That we got to play a few live shows with them. That was fun. Fuck yeah! I was uh, I was gonna say quick. It seems like any time that you press record, it seems like. You wish you would have played a little better. <laughs> oh yeah, it's like I I run into that uh, with the demos. I'll be like I'll I'll demo something out and maybe it's got some fast bursts or you know cruiser sections of you know sixteenth note insanity, um, and for some reason or another because it's just the demo and I'm not worried about it being super tight. It's ends up being fucking pretty tight anyways. And then when I go to actually do it, right? yeah, the red light fever is there, man. <laughs> feel the, it's, it's, it's like the record button is like a, a thousand pound kettlebell on top of your head pushing you into the fucking ground. Yeah, I know what you mean, man. <laughs> but shit. I've always enjoyed and felt really comfortable recording too because, you know, once that's usually like the first 30 minutes of trying to get warmed up and just get in the zone and yeah, get yeah. the headphone mix right and all that shit and get everything ready. And, right. You know, um, take a piss, all that stuff, you know, yeah. get yourself ready. Right. And then, <laughs> and then once I get past that, then I can, I can move pretty quickly and it, it I can get, uh, you know, 
uh, a good block of four solid rhythm guitar tracks together pretty quickly once I get rolling. Yeah. It's just getting rolling at the beginning at the beginning that can be like, Fuck, do it again. Yeah. Fuck, do it again. <laughs> have you uh have you ever uh have you ever come across a situation where you you plug it in, the mics are placed and you hit record or you know, maybe the dude is like, Hey, why don't we just try one to get warmed up and you record it and then you're warmed up and you're like, all right, that was a pretty good take. And then the next take, you just can't nail it for like 32 takes and it sucks. Yeah, uh, that that's happened with me and and uh, doing and dropping dropping in solos. Um, oh sure. Like uh, okay, I've got kind of, I'll have it kind of mapped out what I want to do, and maybe I've practiced it on my own a few times. I usually try to practice everything before I go in. I'll, it just saves time and. I don't have people staring at me like, dude, get your shit together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to be able to just go in there and rock, you know? Absolutely. Um, so I, I'll put some time in on it, and then, yeah, that's absolutely happened a couple of times where it's like, all right, well, that was pretty good. You think you got another one in you? Sure, let's give it another shot. And I just never hit that high water mark. Uh, yeah. And we're like, okay, well, fuck yeah, you keep your first take. <laughs> next bit, let's right. do the next part. Right, <laughs> yeah. right, yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, I was going to say quick, are you aware that there is a delicious beer called Delirium Tremens? Oh, yeah. We had a couple while we were working on it. Oh. It's got that really goofy bottle. Yeah. All that little colorful bottle on there. So I was going to say... It was pretty good, too. I think, isn't it like a double or an Imperial IPA or some shit? Uh, with, with, I can't remember. I think the Delirium Tremens in particular is like a... It's got like a little cherry notes. I don't think it's an IPA, though. I don't okay. Know. Maybe it's more just like a Belgian style. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what I was going to say, though, is that... There's something about that beer that once you're about like a half to three quarters away through it, it's a different, uh, it alters your consciousness different than normal beers. Um, and so what I'm saying, <laughs> I, I think it does anyways. So what I'm saying is that if you, if you start one of those beers and then start the record Delirium Tremens, by the time you get to return to the underground, you are feeling pretty great. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> hey, I'll have to try that. Oh, it it pairs well. Let me say that. <laughs> That's cool. Yep. I tell you, during the writing of that album, what paired well with me was writing the album or recording the album and uh, and uh, ripping shots of Jack Daniels with uh, Terrapin Hopsecutioners. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Oh man, Jack Daniels. I don't know. But, how, uh, I, I don't know how you drink Jack Daniels, man. That shit's rough. <laughs> Uh, for me, um, for whiskey, it's it's the smoothest, best one. Uh, Jim Bean's a little sweet, um, and I don't know. Jack is just, uh, but I, I, I've been preferring rum lately. Rum? Uh, you know, rum like uh, spice rum. Oh, rum! Oh, oh hell yeah! yeah. Uh, I'm having a rum and coke right now, actually. Oh, good. Uh, also, we're all about audio bits on this podcast. So if you're if you're drinking a drink or eating something, you should do that into the mic. It it creates the the, the soundscape more, if you will. Oh, here we go. We got the ice in the glass, kind of like uh, Julian on uh, yeah, Boys. fuck yeah, yeah. We're all about that stuff. If you have beef jerky <laughs> with chips, get get that going. 
open those packages. <laughs> I like. No, nah, I don't have anything like that. Not. I'm not much of a snacker lately. Sure. All right. Well, I've next... been trying to watch my weight. <laughs> oh, I I understand that, man. I've been trying to I've been trying to cut weight. Uh, with with all this free time, uh, you know, not touring and everything, it's really easy to put on weight if you're not careful. So I get that. Yeah, I uh, I actually um, after I left Nile, um, I was probably about the heaviest I'd been in my life, which I'm still kind of a pretty tall, skinny guy. Yeah, overall. But um, I got this job where I had to um, unload these trucks real fast, and by the time 7.30 a.m. rolled around, I was covered in sweat. Oh, yeah. And and uh, I worked there for – I worked there until we went on tour, so, so about a year later. <laughs> um, and uh, I was – when I started working there, I think I was like 235. When I left there, I was 203. <laughs> nice. Fuck yeah. And for a guy who's six foot three, that's not too bad. Yeah. Those uh those manual labor so, jobs will whoop your ass, man. Oh man, and I don't know, it, it kind of invigorated me because I would do you know, you have two hours to unload a truck that had two thousand boxes on it. And then I had to go up front and load another truck. I could take all day to do that, but you know, a lot of forklifting, a lot of shit like that. That's kind of what i've done most of the time you know if i needed a job and i wasn't you know busy with music i could always just fall back on the warehousing thing sure sure <laughs> so, <laughs> i i get that. um but like uh yeah that 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 job had me shredded <laughs> and i felt great too oh um, fuck yeah man and uh, then i would come home and fire up some brewskis and fire up the guitar man and i'd play until one or one or two in the morning <laughs> fuck yeah uh if we could just find a sliver of time for you to work on that next Doom soundtrack, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe I wouldn't mind definitely performing on there. Maybe there'd be like drop a solo or something or drop a couple of, uh, you know, belt out a couple of screams or a couple of growls or something. I'm definitely down for that. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Um, so... Uh, so you were in Nile for 19 to 20 years, if my research serves me correctly. Uh, and I would feel, it would feel rude of me to not uh, touch on that. But I have one question about that. Were there any moments, because uh, I knew you wrote a bunch of tunes for Nile. Were there any moments, like songs or riffs, that you were surprised that people liked as much as they did? Or vice versa, where you were like, Oh, I'm, I really think people are going to like this, but then it didn't hit as well as you thought it was. Um, I would have to say, uh, regarding you know my time in Nile, and you're right. I think I was like 18 or 19 years or something like that. Okay. But um, I, th I think in that, I think, I think I was surprised that we were able to take it as far as we were to take any of it. Not just the stuff that I was writing, but the stuff that you know Carl was writing as well. I, it was like, because when I joined Nile, everything had really dried up, especially in my hometown. Uh-huh. And when I, when I joined, I figured, well, I don't really care, you know, what happens. I just want to jam with some musicians that are serious about playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we can be a regional band, and, you know, we can put out some CDs and shit, and that'll be cool with me. I'm, I'm, 
that's where I'm going to retire right there. I'm going to get me a shitty job and I'm just going to play metal until I drop and fuck it. Right. If we get big, we get big. If we don't, I'm still going to play. And so even after, you know, all of that and then being on albums from Black Seeds of Vengeance all the way up to uh, What Should Not Be on Earth, I was always very surprised at like, wow, man, people are freaking out. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. You know, and you go to a show and, or, you know, we, we show up at the venue and, and there's already people waiting outside and screaming at us and shit. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. And it, it was a good feeling. And it was something that really surprised me because, you know, especially in this kind of music, I mean, you're up against a lot. Yeah. And, you know, and... It was uh, it was always a great surprise. I was just like, "Wow, this is really working," <laughs> you know. Right, right. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was always a pleasant surprise. And and same now with Narcotic. I mean, you know, we're not like just topping billboards or whatever, but the response that I've gotten from just messages that fans send me, and the response that we got out on the road, and and all that is just absolutely incredible. I'm, I'm so happy that. There are people out there that enjoy it as much as I do. Fuck yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, we spoke earlier about attention spans, and I 100% agree because I was talking with Paul Ryan from Origin about this, is that if you play, if you're in a brutal death metal band and you play over 30 minutes, like that's it's pushing it for most people. Yeah, I mean, it's a, there's a few different factors involved, uh, you know, I'm closer to 50 than not at this point in my life. <laughs> right. um, so I grew up in a time where, you know, you sat down, you lit up a fucking bong, and you listened to an entire album. Right, yeah, yeah. And that's what you did. You didn't do anything else. You just sat there, smoked, and listened to this album. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, so that that was the time that we came from, and, you know, I've... I, had lots of, uh, you know, friends that I've met over the years that were, you know, didn't know me back then or whatever. And you'd be riding in the car or whatever. Hey, check this out. Yeah. And then they don't even play the whole song. They play like 30 seconds of the song and then they're already switching to another song. I'm like, what are you doing? Let the fucking thing play. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but one of the things that I, I think is a contributing factor is that, you know, death metal music and, and, and thrash and, you know, punk and all the more extreme side of things the music is really dense yeah yeah yeah. you know it's like you put on a christian album and you've got 35 minutes of just pure meat tenderizer yeah. <laughs> and not not everybody's up to that yeah i'm up to it i'll sit there with a beer in my hand and listen to that whole motherfucker yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> Just going, God damn, these dudes are killer. They're oh, one of yeah. my favorite death metal bands ever. So, oh yeah, you can't um, you can't beat that band live. Oh man, yeah, they're they're fucking ferocious. But like, uh, you know, um, everybody's not up to that. People are just, it's too dense. There's too much shit going on. Yeah, and uh, it just wears them out, and they can't. They can only stand it in small bursts. Oh, I know, and especially especially since. You know, the average, I'd say, average music fan probably has just never seen, you know, drumming and or guitar playing at that level of intensity, plus the harsh vocals, you know. It's it's hard for normal people to wrap their heads around. 
Yeah. And also, uh, you know, what I've noticed, too, and uh, and I somewhat agree with, um, is that this is very much a live music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and if, if, you know, sometimes I'm in the mood to sit back and listen to, you know, a death metal album. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times lately, I've just been listening to old blues and shit and old circle jerks and crap like that. Mm. But um, when I am ready to sit down and listen to one, it's always a great experience. But live is where it's really at. Yeah. And like people that aren't even necessarily into it will enjoy the live experience. Absolutely. It's kind of like me, uh, you know, where I, where I live right now, uh, a few years ago. On Tuesday nights, there was a club down the street. They'd have bluegrass night. And I don't like the music, but it was <laughs> damn fun watching those dudes tear that shit up. Those dudes could play their asses off. Oh, fuck yeah. It's just like, wow. So it's kind of that thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, you got to have that to to be a to be a, a good, successful live band or a live touring band. Yeah. Because um, you are going to have people, rando Calrissians showing up that, never heard of you before and they're yeah. gonna love your shit because you guys are killing it yeah you know yeah you're having fun on stage did i just say rando calrissian <laughs> you did i caught that it's on it's on record <laughs> shit i think I, I think when we post this episode i'm just gonna put dallas said rando calrissian on on the air <laughs> uh but yeah you know uh Touching on that subject, though, I totally agree. Uh, we've I've talked about it uh, with a bunch of my friends. Uh, you know, people that are trying to get into death metal, or you know, perhaps they haven't heard it, or you know, uh, I always tell them to go see Suffocation, and if you don't get it after seeing them, I don't think you're gonna get it. Mm. Yeah, that's a good choice. That's a good choice. Um, because that may not necessar- that band may not necessarily be immolation, even though it should be. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, like, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that band. That's like that probably is my favorite death metal band. Immolation. And uh they're killer live. They've always been killer live. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I mean yeah, I mean you can put any But yeah, you know, suffocation, they've got some stuff that you know, they've got some crazy shit, but they also got some stuff for the listener to really grab hold of. Yeah. Getting all the way back to what we were talking about, writing actual riffs. They have actual riffs. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, speaking of and, riffs, um, speaking of riffs, we like talking about riffs on this podcast. Do you, uh, if you don't mind, I would, I'm going to rapid fire you some riff questions real quick. Okay. What is your favorite cannibal riff? Oh, probably uh, that one in, uh, I think it's Centuries of Torment. Yeah. And the thing that, like, trips me out about it is the way the tempo is. The tempo will be going, like, and then it'll stop and go, you know, it's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely crazy random time signatures, and it's just heavy as fuck. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that would definitely be a contender. Um, there was one, I can't remember the name of it, there was one on, uh, not the new, new one that's about to come out, obviously, but the previous record. Red Before Black? And I think it might have been a song that Rob Barrett wrote the, some riffs on, or maybe, maybe wrote the song. 
I thought that was pretty badass. But yeah, Centuries of Torment always pops up in my head because I heard that and I was just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, th- I think we all have that cannibal riff that made us do that. And that's why we're all lifelong cannibal fans. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. They're a fucking metal machine. Um, yeah, fucking institution of a band. Um, what's, uh, what's your. Absolutely. F- yeah, so you, you said you like Immolation. What's your favorite Immolation riff? Uh, the, uh, the last track on Close to a World Below. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. It's all good. But it goes, that one, or, um, yeah, that, that, that's that damn riff. Every time I hear that, it just sends chills all over my arms. I got fucking chicken skin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, chicken skin that's funny shit uh so that, actually that whole album is hard to really say man <laughs> for a riff that that's one of those ones you just put in and you let play and then three months rolls by and it's still in your car or truck cd player and you still just every time it, you, you you notice it's there and it's on playing in the background you turn it up yeah absolutely I, uh, you know, I know, I know what you mean about the, the music that's been in your car for months because I have been listening to Napalm Death's, uh, Time Waits for No Slave for probably three months now. Same record. <laughs> Hell yeah. You're getting real down and dirty with that one. Oh yeah. It's on cassette too. So it's, it's, it's awesome. Uh, that's funny, man. Before we uh, continue on this uh, this riff thing, I've got a funny story to tell you about the cassette player in my truck. Yeah, let's hear it. Um, so I had a, I was, um, my son, he's stationed at Eglin Air Force Base down in Florida. And earlier this year, I drove down there to hang out with him for a weekend. And uh, uh-huh. on the way back, I was like, man, I really wish my cassette player worked. Yeah. It needed a head cleaned in it. And it was, you know, it just sounded muddy and muffly. Uh-huh. And I had this Metallica and Justice for All cassette in my truck. Awesome. <laughs> so I took some hand sanitizer and I put it directly on the cassette, like on the tape itself. Okay. And I put it in, and the and the fucking intro from uh, from uh, you know Blackened started rolling and shit, and I was like, "Fuck yeah, it sounds <laughs> great." <laughs> so I totally cleaned the head by using hand sanitizer. <laughs> awesome. So you so what you're saying what you're saying is that everyone should take their cassette copies of Injustice for All and apply hand sanitizer for best results. <laughs> yeah, if you have uh, it's a if you're, you know, uh driving down the freeway and you get I I was on my way back and I got in Atlanta traffic, which everybody knows that Atlanta traffic is like abysmal. Yeah. So, you know, we're going like five, ten miles an hour, so I'm like, all right. I'm going to see if I'm just going to try this hack and see if it works. And, um, yeah, the hand sanitizer has got alcohol in it. It, it, it went across the, when the tape went across the head, it cleaned the head and then it started working. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. I will keep that in mind. <laughs> it would have been better to, you know, use the proper thing, get some rubbing alcohol and some Q-tips like we did back in the day, but I didn't have time. I was driving. Right. Right. Uh, well, speaking speaking, but, uh, speaking of Metallica, man, what's your what's your favorite Metallica riff? Favorite Metallica riff? Yeah. Ooh, boy, that's a tough one. Oh shit! Uh, 
I would have to say uh, um, the the first verse riff in Leper Messiah. Yeah, Leper Messiah. Fuck yeah. Yeah, that shit is bad, dude. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> Sorry. And, you know, that's one of those riffs in one of them songs that just, you know, I've been listening to that shit since I was like 12 years old. Yeah. And now that I'm yeah. nearing 47, uh, it just, it, it just, it still holds the weight and there's just more intricate details that I hear in it now. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, man, this is just timeless. Oh, absolutely. And then they, and then that, uh, that break, you know, that, dude, that shit rips, dude. Oh yeah. Right before the whole die chant. Yeah. yeah, yeah all dude. that stuff is great. Yeah, I, dude, I have gotten into arguments with people because I think that's the best song on Puppets. I said it. People can get mad. I don't care. I think that's the best song on Puppets, and people will argue with me, and I'm like, I'm, hey, I'm, that's just how I, that's how I feel, man. It's definitely one of their deep cuts. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, of course, we all had the uh, the instant gratification that is, you know, Master of Puppets, like yeah, the song. Yeah. Of course, yeah, that's yeah. great. And Battery and all that stuff. But, right. uh, man, that B-side, that B-side to that cassette, because I also still have that on cassette. Oh, um, fuck yeah. Uh, Disposable Heroes. That whole B-side is just fucking Yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. Um, Damage man. Incorporated, all that shit. Messiah. Yeah, yeah. Orion. You know. Oh yeah, all those all those hits that I have similar feelings about the B side of Justice. Uh, Harvester of Sorrow, Shortest Straw. You know what I mean? It's like wow, uh, yeah. it's, it's where the band kind of stretches their legs and does some shit you wouldn't expect them to do. You know? Oh yeah, I mean, I think Shortest Straw is my favorite song off that record. Yeah, that's a tough call too, because I really have been digging "Eye of the Beholder" lately. <laughs> yeah, I, it's hard. It's hard to deny that that riffage there. Yeah, and you know, um, a lot of people say stuff about the mix on that record, and that uh, that kick drum tone changed the game. So people can say what they want. <laughs> I don't. I don't understand. Everybody wanted that kick drum tone <laughs> after yeah. that album came out. Yeah, I don't understand why. I mean. I don't understand why people hate on that mix as much as they do, honestly. It's not that bad. No, I mean, and it could have used bass, but, I mean, I don't know if it's just the system in my old shitty Ford Ranger, but I can hear the bass. It definitely needs to be up louder, but I can hear it in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, and um, I've, fuck yeah. I, you know, it was just kind of a, it will kind of, probably without even trying to be, it was kind of a little bit of a revolution in, drum tones so everything had a had it was deep but it also had a lot of attack a lot of snap in the top end i saw somebody online the other day talking shit about that snare drum i'm like uh that snare drum sounds awesome on that album yeah <laughs> especially no when you can you know pair it to the trash can that is saint anger oh god but, don't even don't even talk about that <laughs> snare tone with me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't like the most terrible record in the world, but, you know, it wasn't what we, the old school fans wanted for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't the worst record, but that snare tone was awful. Yeah, and I think they were trying to go for that raw, garagey like system of a down thing or something, maybe. Yeah. Because that was kind of hot in that time, you know? Yeah. 
that super raw, almost garagey sound was happening in a lot of bands at that time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so one last riff question, though. What is what is your favorite Morbid Angel riff? Favorite Morbid Angel riff? Let's see. Um, I'm honestly not quite as familiar with them. Uh, I, I do like them very much, but they're not. They were they were never like one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, I get um, you. Uh, it's probably it's probably going to be Chapel of Ghouls, man. <laughs> oh, ripping! Hell yeah. <laughs> Yeah, either that or something off of Formulas. Formulas? Formulas had some really crazy riffs. Um, so was some shit that was really going for it. Uh, but actually, when it comes to riffs, I can't remember the name of the song off the top of my head now because it's literally been probably 20 years since I listened to that record, but there's that crazy bass guitar break on Altars of Madness record. I think it's like the second track or something. Oh, yeah. Uh... Yeah. Out of nowhere, there's this, this bass break. I yeah. always thought that was bad as fuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't recall what that tune is called either. But yeah, that that is fucking badass. <laughs> it's like doom, 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 I was like, wow, man, that's a great song. Yeah, fuck yeah. Uh, so last, last but certainly not least. So you probably have gotten asked about uh, your time on tours. Uh, and you know life on the road and uh, people always ask about like the coolest thing that's ever happened and like the coolest places you played you know but I want to know I want you to tell me a tour story that sucks tell me about the worst venue you played the worst time you've had and you just wanted to play and get out of there oh man um luckily that didn't happen too often there was one time years and years ago, this was probably technically the worst uh, show that I had ever been a part of. And um, it was Nile, uh, original lineup, uh, Carl, Chief, and Pete. Um, we were playing, we were on tour with Incantation. It was one, I think it was one of the very early first tours. And uh, we played this place in Minnesota. And it was uh, upstairs in this building and it was pretty packed um and uh we were having some electrical issues on the stage and one of the issues was every time because all three of us had vocal parts that we would sing uh -huh. and um every time i would put my mouth on the microphone i would get some serious voltage i was getting the shit shocked out of me <laughs> And to the point one time where it was so bad that my arms, both my arms just went completely straight and I couldn't even hold the guitar. Oh, shit. Um, then I look over at Chief standing in the middle of the stage and he's got long ass fucking hair and it's all sweaty and hot as fuck in there. Mm -hmm. And um, his, his hair had gotten on the mic. So he slung his hair back and when he did that, fucking sparks were like flying off of his hair and shit almost caught his hair on fire holy shit <clears throat> and then carl walks up to the mic and hits and and goes up to sing and it knocks him completely in the floor it like almost knocks him unconscious holy shit 
So we uh, we tried to play what as long as we could, and we got the hell out of there. And um, it wasn't really anybody's fault. It, everybody was super cool, but I'd say that was probably the worst show, just because we could have fucking died. Could have died, <laughs> yeah. Fuck. And um, you know, and then years years and years went by, and every now and then that voltage problem, that bad ground problem, would pop up every now and then, and then. Finally, I got tired of that shit about, uh, I'd say about 2008, 2009. I got tired of that shit. I got myself a fucking wireless for my guitar. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. Problem solved. There you go. It may not sound as good as a cable, but it's live. I'm not trying to win a Grammy. I'm just trying to live through the night. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And with the, with the wireless, you can you can really uh, explore some crazy stage moves, too. You can jump off stage and, you know, go into the crowd and do some cool stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And they're pointy guitars, too. If, if, if I see somebody up to some bad shit out there, I can just spear them in the skull with my... <laughs> Uh, literally a flying V. <laughs> Just impale them like Metalocalypse style. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go through the back of their throat and she... <laughs> just, just, just put them on the spike that of that would iron bird. Oh, that would be. Uh, there well, was a joke I had one time. It got so bad, like, with people going over the barricades and shit. I made a joke one time, you know, especially when I was at Nile. I was like, what if we had live crocodiles in between the stage and the barricade? <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think you guys should have done that, man. <laughs> have a couple of, like, archers off to the side, too. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it. You might as well just erected an entire uh, Egyptian uh, civilization every show. Why not? You'd be memorable. <laughs> Nobody else has done that. Oh, man. Yeah. We'll see who we'll see who can float the bill for that. <laughs> Not to mention the insurance. <laughs> right. Ah, you, you don't need insurance. Oh but, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it ain't gonna help if you get eaten. <laughs> oh, life insurance. There you go, life insurance. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, maybe maybe when uh when you when narcotic goes on the road next, you should think about the live crocodiles thing. I think it would go over well. Or we could just, you know, between the barricade and the stage, we could have, like, I don't know, dirty syringes. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Dur uh, that's fucked up. I would never do anything like that. Right, right. Most of the places we play don't have barricades anyways. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be awesome. I don't care. <laughs> it would be awesome if, like, the tour bus... That would be fucked up. That would be like that scene in that movie Saw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just throwing people in there. Oh. It would uh, it would just be awesome to see a tour like a tour bus with narcotic, and then behind you, you had a a truck full of used syringes that you dump in front of the stage. Oh God! <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah, uh, we get canceled for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is a. I, hey man, w put that into your your back pocket of ideas for potential live gimmicks. One can always dream. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, 
Uh, I really appreciate your time. That is uh, all the questions I have for you. Do you want to plug anything before we go? Uh, I would just say, uh, you know, thanks for having me, you know, for the podcast or whatever. And yeah. and uh, thanks to everybody that enjoys what we're doing. And we plan on getting back out there very soon uh, if, uh, if things permit us to and – Either either way, we're definitely coming out with an album this year, and just be on the lookout for it, and I hope you enjoy the hell out of it. All right, all right. Well, uh, you heard it from Dallas, new narcotic wasteland on the horizon. Uh, I hope to talk to you again, and I will see you on the road, my friend. Absolutely, sir. You have a good evening. You too, man. See you later. <laughs>